for families and, and just a gift that it is. And, you know, last week we talked about the curse and this week we're going to talk about it a little bit more. And, you know, his beautiful plan of motherhood has been corrupted and, 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 and just confused in some ways, but still. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Christ, the perfect leader, he alone was able to do what no other person could do. Although we, as we talked about last week, as believers, are destined to be kings in the eternal kingdom, our ability to choose gives us the ability to love, and the ability to sin. That was absolutely no surprise to God. What happened in the garden 6,000 years ago was no surprise to God. In His great wisdom and love, and because He made everything, He knew that in our ability to choose, in our humanity, we would not be able to choose the right way, to choose his way. And he not only provides the power to choose his way, the right way, he also makes it possible that there's even an opportunity to choose the right way. He made a way for sin to be defeated. Only one way. He, the creator of the world, determined what was needed for salvation. And he provided the means. Verse 10. For it was fitting that he, 
for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus, the founder of salvation, did not need to suffer for his own salvation. His perfect obedience, which took him through suffering, proved that he alone was the perfect salvation for us, the perfect sacrifice. Through suffering, Jesus completed the work necessary for our salvation. He was made perfect. Not that he had any flaws, but his perfection was made known through what he willingly walked through. And he not only paid the price, he led us through it. He was, again, the perfect leader. He led, as you look at your outline, through devotion, relationship with us, through death. He paid that price that we just talked about. And finally, deliverance. He delivered the sacrifice personally. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning as we look at this text. We praise you for Christ. We praise you for his sacrifice. We praise you for his willingness. We praise you for his leadership to make the way for us, Father. May your spirit guide us as we look at this text this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. To sanctify is to make holy. Christians, we Christians are the ones who Jesus makes holy. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. You guys have heard me quote this verse a lot. I'm getting ahead of myself. I know we're going to get to it in Hebrews, and we'll dig into it a lot deeper, but it's applicable here this morning. 10, 14. For by a single offering, Jesus, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We have been perfected for all time. It is done. We are in the kingdom of God. One commentator, one commentator puts it like this. Our sin was poured into Christ at his crucifixion. His righteousness is poured into us at our conversion. <clears throat> this, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> oh, didn't make it up here. I think I got it clear. This is Christ's atonement for sin. This action is once and for all. And because God has adopted all believers as his children, we can claim him as our father and Jesus as our brother. Thank you. While God sees us as completely holy, through the sacrifice of his son, it is done. It is finished. We must grow in our holiness. We are being sanctified. This is a promise. This was prophesied throughout the Old Testament, fulfilled in the new, and we're walking in the truth of it today. As we believe in that promise, 
as we are being sanctified, we are far less than perfect. I know I am. And while we're in that state of less than perfection, Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Luke chapter 9, verse 26, we have the antithesis of this statement. Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. He is only ashamed of us when we are ashamed of him. The next two verses in Hebrews 2 give three quotations from the Old Testament to affirm this brotherly relationship with Jesus. The first is from Psalms 22:22. He says, "I will tell of your name to my brothers. To the in the midst of the congregation I will praise you." The beginning of this psalm, Psalms 22, was quoted by Jesus at his crucifixion. And even though it was written hundreds of years prior to his crucifixion, hundreds of years prior to the time that Hebrews was penned, it is the words of Jesus. And it is a beautiful testament of God's provision through trials. It opens with Jesus acknowledging God's abandonment of him, his necessary abandonment of him. And closes with Jesus praising him. Jesus' humiliation and death on earth ended in victory. Declaring the wonder of God's name to those who believed. His brothers and sisters, us, we as believers. To declare a name means to reveal the character of a person. Jesus, through his humanity, revealed God's character, revealed the very nature of God. He was God in the flesh. Verse 13, and again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. The two verses quoted here in verse 13 are from Isaiah chapter 8, starting in verse 17. They are applied to Jesus, again showing his relationship with us, humanity. This relationship was important. It was crucial to Christ's purpose, to God's plan for Christ's earthly life. Isaiah was persecuted, and his message rejected by the people. He encouraged the people not to listen to false advice, to poor advice, but to God alone. Like Isaiah, Jesus put his trust in God the Father. And he unconditionally receives us as his brothers and sisters. Like those faithful to Isaiah, to God in Isaiah's day, our central desire should be to remain true to Jesus and ignore anything that would distract us from following him, to purge anything from our lives that we know is distracting us from following Jesus. 
Verse 14. Since therefore the children, us and Jesus, share in flesh and blood. Us and Jesus, we are the children. Share in flesh and blood. He himself, Jesus, likewise, capable of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. After building the foundation of Christ's humanity and our kinship to him, the author of Hebrews goes on to explain its importance. We talked about the curse last week, primarily the beginning of it. Those immediate three areas that were pronounced as a result of the sinfulness of man, the curse that was put on man. Death is the final reality of the curse. After establishing our kinship, Christ perfectly led the way into death. He, as we said last week, perfectly, he embraced the curse. It's important this morning that we look at how Christ led in this act of embracing the curse. He did not ignore sin and wretchedness. He gently spoke to the adulterous woman. He gently called the adulterous woman and the woman at the well to repentance. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, he said, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who bought and sold at the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Matthew chapter 23, starting at verse 27. Jesus again says, Woe to you! Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you all outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. There are several more examples. Jesus was direct, intentional, did not, as you, to use a modern colloquialism, did not pull any punches. John, in his gospel, gave us an entire chapter of Jesus confronting these types of leaders. None of Jesus' confrontations, his bold confrontations, were to save his own skin. They were not to save his own physical life, to fight for his rights. In every instance, it was to call sinners to repentance, to bring sinners out of their wretchedness and into eternity with him, to call out false teachers, to bring salvation to all who would believe, and to pray to glorify God. 
these confrontations brought trouble on Jesus. Many times he miraculously escaped. Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 29. It says, And they rose up, and they drove him, Jesus, out of the town, and brought him to a brow of a hill on which the town was built. This was a cliff, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. They drove him to the edge of a cliff. He simply walked straight through the crowd. No one laid a hand on him. No one held him back. And he walked away from them. That is a miracle. That is God's provision. In John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That is the way Jesus led. In that time at the cliff, there's different times they tried to stone him, and he just slipped away. Times they tried to capture him, he just slipped away. He didn't fear. He didn't limit what he spoke. He spoke directly, forcefully, compassionately when necessary. And God provided for him. God took care of him. But when the time came, in John chapter 13, verse 26, Jesus said, It is to he who, to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Jesus had escaped so many times. He could have obviously stopped Judas. He not only didn't stop him, he sent him. Matthew chapter 26, starting at verse 52. This is after Judas brought the authorities to where Jesus was in the garden. Jesus' apostles tried to defend him. And Jesus said to him, the one who had cut off the ear of the soldier, Put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legion of angels. Again, Jesus didn't fight the curse. He not only spoke by the words he said, but also by what he didn't say. Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 13. Then Pilate said to him, Jesus, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? All false things. All trumped up charges. But what did Jesus do? But he gave him no answer. Not even to a single charge. So that the governor was greatly amazed. He, Jesus, didn't fight the curse. He embraced it. Isaiah 53, 7, again written hundreds of years prior to Jesus' coming. Isaiah wrote, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, 
yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. As Jesus was hanging in agony on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. For 30 years, Jesus lived in relative humble obscurity. He was born in a stable. He made tents for a living. He did nothing to exhort himself in the flesh. He took the opportunities that God gave him and he turned into them. For three years, he shared the message of salvation. He confronted the wicked leaders. He exhorted those who were in sin. He faced incredible suffering. As a result, he faced incredible suffering an indescribable temptation from the head demon himself. Why did Jesus do this? Why did he walk this path? Why did he lead in this? To defeat death for us. To complete the curse. Verse 15. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Death is the ultimate fear and final experience of all human beings. And only as a human being, made of flesh and blood, could Christ die. Because only by dying himself could he break the power of Satan, who had the power of death. Romans chapter 6, verse 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Sin and death are one. The end of sin is death. Only by first breaking the power of sin could Jesus then break the power of death. He accomplished both through his death and his resurrection. In those acts, Christ dealt the final blow to both Satan and death. Although Satan still holds power over this physical world that we live in, his time is limited. God allows him to work, but limits him. Job chapter 1, verse 12. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he, Job, has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. These were not suggestions. These were binding. Satan could do no more than God allowed him to do. Satan is the agent of the curse. The curse 
has a purpose. Suffering has a purpose. You guys heard Tim testify this morning to what they have walked through, the suffering they have faced, the cancer due to the fallenness of this world. And you heard how they have turned toward that suffering. It's not always been easy. I'm sure it's not always been easy. But Tim testified of the opportunities others have had with them and the opportunities they have had to share with others. The purpose of the curse is to point us to Jesus and mercifully give us opportunity to choose him. Just as salvation is partly realized now and will be fully realized in eternity in God's kingdom, Satan now is still at work but will one day be destroyed. Revelation chapter 20 verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and of sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's Satan's destiny. Fear of anything makes us slaves to that fear. People have long been slaves to the fear of dying. Having a fear of death, having a fear of any kind, does not mean that we are not saved. Don't let Satan put that lie in your head. It just means that we're not yet fully realizing the power the reality of being saved. In doing so, in fully embracing that reality, in, in refusing to embrace that reality, we are allowing Satan to torment us. We are giving him that power. Death will come to all of us. But because Jesus died and rose again, we no longer have to be slaves to the fear of sin and death. We know that because Jesus rose from the dead, we too will rise from the dead. We will die physically. We will face the realities of this fallen world. Cancer. You can name the disease the things we face in this world, those are realities of the curse, and we will die physically. But we are promised new bodies and a new life in eternity with God. 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 55, to call a worship text this morning. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 2. As a result of Jesus' devotion, his counting us as brothers and sisters, 
And as a result of his death, his embracing the curse and walking straight into the curse and taking the full fury of it, we have deliverance through his status, through his provision. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. He had to be made like us so that he could become a merciful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus Christ became like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could destroy death through dying and finally become our merciful and faithful high priest. Under the old covenant, the high priest was the mediator between God and the people. Once a year, they would take a sacrifice into the temple. But Jesus' death and resurrection brought a new covenant. Under the old covenant, again, I said he had, the high priest had to go before God once a year. Jesus' death accomplished forgiveness once and for all. It was done for those who believe in him. He became both the sacrifice and the deliverer of the sacrifice. We don't have to wait until once a year. It's done. When we come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the high priest has taken the sacrifice to God. It is done. Our sins are paid for. Death is defeated because of Christ and his leadership. He became like us in every way except for the sinful nature. That's the only way that he could offer the ultimate sacrifice. That sacrifice was his life, his own life. A holy God, a true God, cannot overlook sin. The sinfulness of mankind had to be punished. Under the old covenant, God required his people to sacrifice animals, perfect animals, to atone for their sins. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. God dealt once and for all with sin and death. Eternal separation from God. Instead of sending all of humanity to eternal punishment, which is where we were headed because of our sinfulness, God took the punishment himself. Jesus shed his blood, gave his life to take away our sins so that we wouldn't have to experience spiritual death Verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. 
Jesus came to earth as a human being. He became like us. He is not an abstract savior, some theory. He became like us. He has faced everything that we will ever face. So we can say, well, this person doesn't know what I'm going through because they haven't experienced it. This person doesn't, they have no idea. They can't relate to me. We cannot say that about Jesus. Jesus faced everything and more than we will ever face. He not only faced it, he set himself aside. And he took the persecution. He faced the suffering, the temptation, the death. To give us power, to give us a path to salvation. We cannot deny that Jesus knows our suffering. We can try to deny it with our words, but the reality is he perfectly knows our suffering, fully knows our suffering and our temptations. In his humanity, Jesus himself has gone through suffering and temptation. This wasn't just the cross. He knew hunger. He knew pain. He knew ridicule. He knew persecution. He knew temptation. And as a result, Jesus is not only our Savior. He is able to help us when we are being tempted. He is the perfect leader. I pray that you know him as your leader this morning. I pray that you walk in the power of the gospel this morning. I pray that as you on occasion are overwhelmed with fear, wondering what if, what if, that you know that there is no what if. There is no, I don't know what's going to happen. Yes, in this life, we don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be here to take another breath tomorrow. I don't know the next one of my loved ones who may not be here to spend another day with. I don't know the sufferings that I'm going to face in this life. But I do know the one that who, who holds eternity. And I do know that by putting my full faith and trust in him, I am secured for eternity. Not by anything that I've done, but by everything that Jesus did. In humility, he was born into this earth. He walked in those 30 years of obscurity. He testified to the gospel. He became the perfect sacrifice. That's all I need to know. And putting my faith in that, by the power of that, by the example of Jesus, then I too can embrace the curse. And I pray that by the testimony of my life that I can lead others into the deliverance afforded to us by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I pray that you know that reality this morning. I pray that you too know the love of Jesus. I pray that the lies of Satan that would distract you from that reality are exposed. That you walk in that freedom. That despite your circumstances, that you know the hope, you know the joy of walking with Jesus. If you still don't know that hope, 
You have put your faith in Jesus, but you're still struggling under the weight of the realities of this life. Find somebody to talk to. Don't try to carry it alone. Find a brother or sister in Christ. Find someone on the leadership team to share your struggles. To share your struggles, to share your trials. Because if you keep them in the dark, then the enemy is sitting back, rubbing his hands, saying, I have him. I have her. They will never have freedom because they're too scared. Christ called us his brothers and sisters. He died for us. He became our high priest to bring us eternal life and to bring us hope and joy in this life as we look forward to that one. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for his perfect leadership. God, as he walked this earth, he confronted sin. He confronted the wretched leaders. But he never made it about himself. God, may we walk in the reality of his provision. May we find strength through his provision to follow his lead. To live our lives, to take every breath in the desire to bring others into the kingdom. In the desire to bring glory and honor to you, Father. To walk in rest and peace despite our circumstances. Lord, may your spirit guide us. We praise you for your provisions, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you join us?